Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and that would be two-time Manager of the Year winner, Bob Melvin. Bob Melvin has won the Manager of the Year in both leagues. Did you know that? He was the Manager of the Year in 2007 as the manager of the Diamondbacks when the team actually had a negative run differential but made all the way to the National Championship Series. And then he was the Manager of the Year with the A's in 2012 when they were a team that was in mid-rebuild and really came within, I mean, they almost made it to the ALCS. They lost a tough division series to the Detroit Tigers. And it was their first of three postseason experiences where they won the division in 2012 and 2013 and the wild card in 2014. Another little mass clump of A's postseason appearances. Yeah, there have been a couple of managers who have won the manager of the year in both leagues. Uh, Jim Leland did with the Pirates and the Tigers. Uh, Joe Madden did with the Cubs and the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Lupe, I believe Lou Pinella did. Didn't Lou Pinella, did he win it with the Cubs? Yeah, he won it with the Cubs, and he won it with the Seattle Mariners. I'm sure there's one or two others I'm not thinking about off the top of my head who won it in both leagues. I know some people won it with multiple teams. Uh, did, did Joe Torre? No, nope, Joe Torre did not. Joe Torre did not. Dusty Baker, did he? Nope, he only won as a uh, Giants manager. All right, well, anyway, and Tony La Russa, there's another one. Tony La Russa won in both leagues. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. The manager of the year is a strange award, isn't it? I mean, when I have it up, I'm at baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. And it seems that most of the time, they give the manager of the year to... The manager who defied expectations. I mean, it almost you almost should have it be the defy expectation manager of the year because it the concept of who's the best manager. Well, sometimes you can have a great manager on a crap team. I mean, is Bob Melvin suddenly a lousy manager now that the A's are are either tied or at last place. No, it's because of injuries and because of, you know, things that happen. I mean, you can make the case that Grady Little was a bad manager, and yet he got the Red Sox to within, uh, you know, five outs of the World Series in 2003. If they won the World Series, then they would have been uh, beloved uh, of Grady Little. I mean, <laughs> Bob Bredley, you could say, did a bad job with the 2001 Arizona Diamondbacks, and yet they won the World Series that year. And you've seen some teams that have had wonderful managers just happen to to have a crap team around them. But almost every time, it's been where there's been a turnaround. You know, sometimes, you know, Francona's only won the manager of the year once, and that was never with the Red Sox. He won it with the Indians. But, you know, Kirk Gibson winning the Manager of the Year in 2011. And Kirk Gibson drove me bananas 
as a manager, but the Diamondbacks had a surprising year in 2011. And so they gave it to him. Matt Williams uh, had the Nationals in the playoffs in 2014 and won manager of the year and was fired the next year because he did a terrible job in 2015. So how much has to do with the manager and how much doesn't? And this sort of seems to be a philosophical question that people have with managers these days. How much of it has to do with the manager and how much of it doesn't? Now, you know, you take a look, who's going to win the manager of the year this year? Well, I think that you could look at Dave Roberts will probably win it in for Los Angeles because the Dodgers are still competitive and going to look like they're going to be a playoff team. And they've had so many injuries, including to Clayton Kershaw. They're like, okay, maybe, yeah, he should have it. Even though the Cubs are going to have the best record. Even though the Nationals are probably going to have a better record than the Dodgers. I mean, shouldn't you give Dusty Baker consideration too? But it'll probably be Dave Roberts. Does that mean Joe Madden is suddenly a worse manager? I said, no, but you know, he was manager of the year last year with the Cubs. And everyone was expecting the Cubs to do well this year. Even though I didn't pick them to win the division, I thought the Pirates were going to surprise. You know, that was my gutsy pick that's fallen on his face. But you know, I picked the Cubs to make the postseason. You know, the American League, who's going to win it? You know, Will it be John Farrell if the Red Sox win the division? Will it be John Gibbons if the Blue Jays do? Will Jeff Bannister win back-to-back Manager of the Year, he was manager of the year last year with the Texas Rangers. Who knows? It's a strange award because you even go back a bunch of years and it's not always the big names who win it. And many times it's not even the team that won the, wound up winning the World Series. I mean, I'm going back, I mean, someone like Bud Black winning in 2010. That was all about the Padres had no expectations that year. They won 90 games. Jim Tracy winning with the Rockies was because he took over the team and there was low expectation, even though they went to the World Series just two years before. And they went to the playoffs. Joe Girardi, the Marlins had a losing record, but they had no payroll. And so there was a sense of, oh, well, do you know what? Girardi is... Uh, you know, had, did a real good job with the Marlins, keeping them at least within contention. But he was fired after that year because he clashed with the owner. But almost every year, whether it's Tony Payne with the Royals, Showalter with the Rangers, um, uh, Larry Boa with the Phillies, Jerry Manuel with the White Sox, almost every time, Jack McKeon with the Reds, almost every time... It has to do with, oh, those low expectations. Bruce Bochy's won it once with the Padres. He never, he has never won manager of the year with the Giants. You know, Bud Black, Davey Johnson, and Matt Williams were the managers of the year the three times that the Giants won the World Series under Bruce Bochy. So it's a strange, strange award to sort of get a guidance of. But do you know what? It meant that at least for one year, it appeared that those managers did their job. You look for at least one year, you could say, hey, well, look at, look at, look at. He did okay. He did okay. But when you also take a look around 
at some of the managerial openings and some of the ways that people have gone, seen some of the hires that we've seen in the, in the major leagues for some of these managers. You know, you've started to see a move away from the traditional managerial hire. You're seeing a lot of ones who had no managerial or coaching experience. You know, well, Dan Jennings was the manager for the Marlins briefly, and he had no playing experience professionally. But, you know, there were some of those moments when you see, like, you know, when Matheny became the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals over Jose Okendo. And now Matheny was a former catcher and everything, but he had no coaching experience. You know, Brad Osmus was the same way. You were, start, you were starting to see, you know, Robin Ventura was the same way. You're starting to see a movement away from, hey, let's just go a completely different route. Let's not get someone with a managerial experience, but get someone with a fresh set of eyes and a fresh mentality and put them at the reins. And you've seen, you know, you could point to success that have happened in St. Louis and Detroit, but how much of that was Osmus? How much of that was Matheny? And how much of that was them inheriting teams that were led by La Russa and Leyland? You know, Robin Ventura has been the manager for, you know, for a presidential term with the Chicago White Sox, and it's been, you know, it's not been smooth sailing there. And not just because they've only had one winning record under uh, uh, Robin Ventura, but, you know, this year has been a weird year of discontent with Chicago. It's hard to point to one overwhelming success of the new mindset of managerial hires. You know, I mean, the one pennant was won by Matheny, but again, as I said, he inherited a Cardinal team with a tremendous amount of talent. You know, Walt Weiss was a, what, a high school coach at the time? And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not exactly been a spectacular tenure that he's had in Colorado. There are several teams that are going to be looking seriously at the possibility of a new manager. The Twins last year had a surprising winning season. They're terrible this year. Will that cost Paul Molitor a Hall of Famer his job? I don't know. I think the White Sox should look long and hard at replacing Robin Ventura. You know, Brian Price is probably going to see the axe in Cincinnati. Meanwhile, in Milwaukee who's, uh, I had to remember who the manager was. I thought it was Ron Renneke for a minute. It was Craig Council. Uh, who knows what's going to happen there. But in Arizona, where there was a sky-high expectation, Chip Hale is probably going to take the fall. The Braves, who, you know what, I've been kind of mean we'll talk about Brian Snitker, uh, but he's a lifer and a baseball and a baseball lifer and someone I respect. But, you know, it, there's nothing about being the interim manager of the potentially worst team in baseball that necessarily makes you jump up and down and say, hey, we got to keep him aboard. And, hey, um, maybe Terry Collins could be shown the door if it's clear he's no longer the right guy for the team. Now, when we think about who to replace those people with, I'm going to make a very strange analogy. Think about blockbuster movies. Big, huge, 
franchise blockbuster films. And two immediately came to mind when I started thinking about potential replacements of managers and who we should be looking at from the managerial pool. And two of these movies that came to mind, and bear with me, because there's going to be method to my madness. One is Spider-Man 2. Remember Spider-Man 2? Came out in either 2004, 2005. The second one, the one with Doc Ock. It's pretty damn good. It was really damn good, actually. Is that going back a little too far? All right. Well, then, how about uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens? That was pretty good, wasn't it? That was really good. Now, what are two things that those films had in common? Other than the fact they were big-time franchise films that were dependent on becoming gigantic hits. What's another thing about them that people remember? Because people really like Spider-Man 2. And people really like The Force Awakens. Amongst all the things that they did in those films, they had good scripts. They had, they were well written. They had characters you cared about. The story made sense. It was as if they were well written, good films. Huh. Well, normally, you see the mentality in a lot of these blockbuster films and big-time tentpole films. You see them trying to get hot young directors and hot young screenwriters and everything like that to be in charge of the script and be in charge of the foundation. Do you know who wrote Spider-Man 2? Do you know who wrote the screenplay to Spider-Man 2? Alvin Sargent. If you're unfamiliar with who Alvin Sargent is, he is a veteran Oscar-winning screenwriter who won the Academy Award for writing the screenplay for Ordinary People and, believe me, was no spring chicken when he wrote the screenplay to Spider-Man 2. Who wrote the screenplay to The Force Awakens? Oh, there was a bunch of people, but the main name on that was Lawrence Kasdan. Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the screenplays to Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, as well as Raiders of the Lost Ark, so he was familiar with the genre, but also was an acclaimed director as well. I love Silverado, the western he did, but he also did The Big Chill. He did The Accidental Tourist. He did Grand Canyon. He did a lot of very you know, acclaimed, award-winning films and is a very skilled screenwriter and director in his own right. And if you take a look at when some of those films came out, is no spring chicken himself. In both of those instances, where they're going for the young audiences, they're going for the young bucks and everything like that, they handed the screenwriting reins to the elderly, to the old, to the veterans, to the ones that you think, oh, maybe time has passed them by. Oh, wait a minute. Turns out the guy who wrote Ordinary People can still write. Turns out the guy who wrote the script for Raiders and wrote The Big Chill can still write. And maybe having that little bit of time and having a little bit of maybe being forgotten 
help them turn around and say, hey, I can dig deep and pull out a really good script right now. Which made me think about managers. Managers with experience. Managers like Alvin Sargent and Lawrence Kasdan, the screenwriters, have the goods and have been passed over for a, you know, the obsession over youth and hand the reins over and show the whippersnappers how things are done. Not even show the whippersnappers how things are done. Just say, hey, I still got it. I'm talented just sitting here that I can't wait to show you that I can still do it. And so I think about some managers, some of the managers I just mentioned, going down the line here. Ron Gardenhire, manager of the year, not managing anywhere right now. Jim Tracy, Bud Black, Ozzie Guillen, Tony Pena, Willie Randolph, Larry Boa. Some of these people are available to manage, as is Chris Chambliss for that matter, but that's a whole different bag of tomatoes. That maybe some of these teams could use someone who's been there, done that. Unless we forget the likes of Joe Torre and Terry Francona, two managers who were probably, well, one's in the Hall of Fame, Joe Torre is in the Hall of Fame, and Terry Francona, if he continues having success in Cleveland, to you know, pair that up with the success that he had in Boston, you may very well see Terry Francona in the Hall of Fame. That's not a stretch. And both of them were considered to be damaged goods. Joe Torre had one good season in Atlanta, and the rest of his managerial career were flops with the Mets, bad years with the Braves, save for 82, and an unmemorable tenure in St. Louis. He was called Clueless Joe. He was, he was considered to be, well, what, this guy's washed up. He never can manage anywhere. And maybe you need someone with that tenure, with that background, in the sense of, hey, I know what to do and not to do. Terry Francona, when he came over to manage the Red Sox, people forget this, that he was kind of looked at as kind of like, oh, guys, this guy a wimp? Is this just Terry Francona's, is he just the lapdog for Kurt Schilling? Because that was a mentality. Because remember, he was a manager in Philadelphia when Kurt Schilling was there. So, oh, they just got this guy in because he was Schilling's manager in Philadelphia. And that he was, you know, is he a spineless guy? What is this guy? He became Francona, managing two championships, and no doubt learned what happened wrong while he was managing in Philadelphia? Tony Pena won the manager of the year with the Kansas City Royals. He did some things good with the Royals. He did some things crappy with the Royals. And he's been a Yankee coach ever since. You think maybe he'd say, hey, you, want you give me another shot. I think I know what to do now. I think I know what to do now. I think of Willie Randolph, did some things right, did some things wrong with the Mets. I wonder, if hey, I think I know what to do now. 
Bud Black. I think I I think I figured out some of the things were right and not right. The only reason Jim Tracy was fired is he left because he didn't want to deal with the, the the insanity that was the Colorado Rockies front office. I think he could bring some wisdom to the table, and you could see that sometimes a manager can actually adapt. Clint Hurdle, the definition of an old school chew and jaw manager, has embraced sabermetrics. Dusty Baker has learned how to play young players instead of relying on the veterans all the time. You can learn. I'll tell you, you know, who is it? Someone else who learned and learned how to do a better job? Your pal Sully. I got my first television producing job. I was probably too young and too inexperienced, and I got a high-profile TV producing job. And it overwhelmed me. I did some things right. I did some things wrong. And I wound up losing the job. And then years later, I got another shot to produce on TV. And do you know what? I was pretty good. I was a hell of a lot better. Partly because I knew what to do right, but also because I knew what to do wrong. So when you're out there, it's like, oh, we have someone who has no managerial experience, no coaching experience, but he gets what the front office wants. Do you know what? There may be value in that, but there may also be value in pointing to the garden hires of the world. Oh, garden hires screwed up when he did this, that, or the other thing. He didn't embrace this, that, or the other thing. Do you know what? People can learn. I would love to see what Ozzie Guillen would do with another shot and with a sense of, hey, look at, yeah, he flamed out with the Miami Marlins. I flamed out with the Miami Marlins. It was probably the wrong situation for him. But the fact of the matter is, that was 2012. Okay? That was a whole presidential term ago. And maybe, yeah. Hand him the reins and see what happens. Maybe the positive things he did in Chicago and the negative things he did in Chicago, he can have a certain amount of perspective. I'm sure handing the screenplay to a man in his 70s when he wrote Spider-Man 2. What the hell is a 70-year-old guy going to do writing a comic book movie? Well, do you what he did? He wrote one of the best ones ever. It holds up. What are you going to do, hand it like this, this old geezer to write the screenplay to a new Star Wars film? Trying to get a young audience. Yeah, how'd you like it? I think it was better than Attack of the Clones. So, maybe we have to take a look at managers and the managerial hires and take a good long look. It's not that experience is the main factor. It's not necessarily about, well, he's seen things and he's done things, but it's about learning. Can you learn? Now look it, sometimes you give someone another shot and you saw what happened when the Dodgers gave Grady Little a shot and what happened? Uh, it didn't work. Every one of their moose give, gave Jim Riggleman a shot. Do you know what? It didn't work. Sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes it might. Somewhere out there is another Tory, is another Francona, is another Alvin Sargent, 
is another Lawrence Kasdan. Think long and hard about it in terms of managing. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Go to MLBReports.com to see the up-to-date listings of who owns baseball. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and by Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, talking managers, Spider-Man 2, and The Force Awakens. It all makes sense in my mind. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.